Welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Climate Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. In early December, China received its first delivery of Russian natural gas through the Power of Siberia pipeline. The new pipeline crosses 1,800 miles of Siberian wilderness from the Arctic to the Chinese border and is vitally important to both countries. For Russia, the pipeline will be a source of much-needed foreign revenue and a counter to U.S. and European economic sanctions that followed its annexation of Crimea in 2014. China, for its part, gains a new alternative to imports of liquefied natural gas and improved energy security. Beyond Power Siberia's energy and economic benefits, much has been made of its political implications. The pipeline is the latest example of deepening ties between China and Russia at a time when both countries have been at odds with another key player in the global energy market, the United States. On today's podcast, we'll take a look at what Power of Siberia may reveal about a shift in the global energy market and about the political influence of key players in that market. Today's guests are Anna Mikulska, a senior fellow here at the Climate Center and a non-resident fellow in energy studies at Rice University's Baker Institute. Bill Hederman is also a senior fellow at the Climate Center and a former senior advisor within the U.S. Department of Energy. Anna and Bill, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having us. So, Anna, to get us started out, uh, could you tell us about Power Siberia? How much gas will it deliver and at what price? So the Power of Siberia pipeline is supposed to deliver approximately 38 BCMs uh, to China. So comparing it to current uh, imports uh, or 2018 imports, um, in 2018, China imported 200 BCMs. So that's quite quite a lot, quite a lot of capacity that the uh, pipeline will uh, will support. Now, going forward, China will increase that those imports, so it will become slightly less in terms of uh, in terms of the um, portion of the imports in total. But it is significant. Now, the pricing is also very interesting because, first of all, it's indexed on oil. So depending on oil pricing, the prices of that gas that's going to be sent are going to be lower or higher. At the time that it was negotiated um, in 2014, the prices were around $100, so it, which would come to around 9 to 10 uh, per billion BTUs, uh, dollars, uh, which was lower than in Europe. Uh, lower than LNG. So it kind of shows that that at this moment, China was able to negotiate a very, very favorable pricing for the gas that was supposed to be coming. Now, as the time went, the oil prices went down to 30 and so on. So these uh, these prices of natural gas plummeted, and uh, it was almost of a con- it was a concern for for Gazprom and for Russia that they won't be able to deliver it at that at that price uh, that that they contracted. But now the price, as the prices have uh, recovered, um, I think Russia is just fine with with what they'll be getting at at this moment. It's interesting. So it's about twenty percent of China's. Uh, uh, demand for imported gas is actually going to be served through this pipeline, quite significant. Current demand. So when you look going into the future, um, into 2030, it's estimated that uh, that China will need between 170 to 340 BCMs of gas. So, Bill, who operates the pipeline and who's paying for it? So Gazprom operates it. China, as the customer, is paying for essentially. Gazprom's a very highly technically capable gas company, and uh, 
they learned how to build to Western standards when they were serving Western Europe. So uh, there shouldn't be any uh, concerns about operational risk issues on this. And, of course, the, uh, the buyer pays for the gas when uh, you put in a pipeline. So, Anna, let me ask you this. So Power Siberia had been in the works for quite some time before Russia and China uh, finally agreed to sign a deal in 2014. Why the delay and, and what eventually pushed the deal through? So, yes, it's it's been around a decade that the countries have been looking into putting a natural gas pipeline. Uh, but it wasn't until 2014 uh, that this uh, this um, kind of plans um, crystallized and uh, materialized. Uh, several things. Uh, China has seen an opportunity at the time. It was definitely driven at the time by China, which saw opportunity with uh, Russia being um, a Russian position uh, globally being weakened uh, f- uh, due to sanctions that U.S. and Europe imposed after the Ukraine, Russia invaded Ukraine in 2014. So China saw an opportunity here and saw an ability of of uh, of uh, negotiating uh, power and 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 uh, strength, um, and that's why it was um, it was willing to negotiate at that time. But also China's position has changed um, quite uh, substantially. It has definitely uh, become increasingly natural gas dependent. And it has seen for various reasons, including economic, but also environmental, that natural gas is going, the natural gas demand is going to increase going forward. While the domestic uh, resources are not enough and they are not developed enough. And at the same time, developing them would be less um, cost effective than bringing them in from somewhere else. Um, LNG supplies have also expanded at that time, and China has been using those uh, LNG supplies as one of their, um, their one of the places where where natural gas would come. But it's China is looking at this as a much bigger kind of general strategy, where diversification of natural gas supply is a key. So one thing that China doesn't want to do, and uh, to is to get dependent on one specific supplier. At the time when now in 2014, we see uh, LNG coming in from Qatar, Australia, you know, US uh, also, um, where China already has uh, gotten um, contracts with Turkmenistan, uh, potentially later with uh, Myanmar, um, bringing in natural gas. Russia has become one, yet one uh, another way of diversifying Chinese supply of natural gas or Chinese imports from natural gas and making the country more energy secure. Now, about on about 75% uh, of Russia's gas exports actually end up in Europe. Uh, and the pipeline right. offers Russia a, a possibility to diversify away from that European market or be less dependent. Why, why is that important in this day and age? So, yes and no in terms of diversification away from Europe. Um, Russia sees Europe as a very important market and um, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be putting a lot of effort, a lot of money, a lot of resources into pipelines such as Nord Stream 1 and 2 now and uh, Turkish Stream and wouldn't be fighting for it so much if it didn't see Europe as a very important market going forward. However, uh, the geopolitical relationships have been strained recently um, 
because of Russia's uh, invasion in Ukraine, European uh, European sanctions towards Russia, um, and also uh, because there is an additional alternative supply that's coming in, not only to Western Europe, but also to Eastern Europe via LNG shipments. Uh, so in order to have an ability to diversify its exports, Russia has looked into China. Um, now, when it started negotiating the power of Siberia um, pipeline, uh, Russia really hoped that it would deliver from its western Siberia or Altai region. And part of it was it's because this is the same region where, where Russia is bringing in natural gas to Europe. So in a way, it would have this arbitrage opportunity where it could kind of, you know, look between Europe and China and kind of set them both apart and, and say, well, who pays more for my gas? Or, well, you know, even geopolitically say, well, we, we're not going to ship to you. We will just divert our shipments to China or, or the other way around. You can kind of imagine that China didn't wasn't really very happy with this kind of idea. Also, it already has, uh, had, uh, you know, a pipeline developed from Turkmenistan to deliver to where uh, Russia would deliver to from the Western Siberia region. So negotiating from the position of power, China was able to push for the power of Siberia to go from Eastern Siberia to Northeast China, to China's populous demand center. But also Eastern Siberia is basically a market dedicating to China now. There is no other places that Russia could deliver from those resources. So the, the arbitrage opportunity uh, between uh, you know Europe and China is not directly there. It's, it's very interesting that China had that power in that negotiation to dictate which source right. that gas was going to come from, from within Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really important, Andy, On the European side, it's not a purely commercial venture for Russia either. It's important for a source of funds, but it's also important as a threat over Western Europe that they have that supply there. And in my opinion, the the former German leader, uh, former Chancellor Schroeder, who's the uh, CEO of Nord Stream Organization, just shamelessly was bought out by Russia and helped create this way to to lock out Ukraine from the transactions, which, of course, is important to Russia at this point. They don't want Ukraine having any power over transit of their gas. But... Uh, Western Europe was pretty united in their response of going along with the uh, the sanctions related to the Crimean invasion, but uh, this you know so and I think that's what gave China a lot of leverage mm-hmm. too. Russia was desperate for a deal at that point, and now interestingly, the Nord Stream two should be shipping gas in a, in a few weeks as well. And Nord Stream two went ahead despite all these these sanctions. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Bill, let me ask you about China's uh, growing demand for gas for a moment and and how the pipeline fits into its gas supply picture more fully. So China has had domestic natural gas, and it's during even the 90s, they were very aggressively trying to develop coal bed methane. And they just never were able to get their, uh, their gas supplies to be large enough and cheaply enough to make economic sense for them. But as Anna mentioned, as coal 
was growing extremely rapidly. The environmental consequences were coming home to roost. And even in Beijing, uh, people were alarmed about the air pollution problems, and they realized that uh, this was not good for their, their country. So the idea that they could shift to gas, which was a lot cleaner, and also as part of their complying with their promises at the Paris Agreement, it was a way to basically cut the emissions for the same amount of electricity production in half. It was a win for them in a number of dimensions. And so when they found themselves in a position to be able to negotiate the price as well, and uh, one of my old uh, staff my main natural gas expert when Russia and China signed the deal for roughly $9 a billion BTUs. For, for this pipeline? For this pipeline, for delivery. He pulled out a piece of paper and worked forward from the Henry Hub price at the time, and he came up with a price within a dollar of the negotiated price. And I think Russia felt getting the index, including oil prices, was going to be something to ultimately jack up the prices. But so far, that hasn't worked. So the opening of the power Siberia pipeline bill has been interpreted as a sign of growing alignment between Russian and Chinese interests. Can you explain that? Well, uh, President Putin actually said that in the opening ceremonies uh, that this is a ratcheting up of the strategic alliance between Russia and China. And I didn't hear China affirming that in response, but that is certainly any transaction of this size builds connections and interdependency. And so that's going to build their relationship They had some major joint military exercises after this deal was cut, both on land and naval. And those are things that are not good news for the Western alliance. And But but I think what's going to be interesting is Russia may still have a vision of being the senior partner in the relationship, and I think they will learn that that's not true. It sounds like in the negotiations over the pricing and where this this gas was going to be sourced from, China definitely flexed its muscle. Exactly. You know, I want to ask you this question. This pipeline was in the works long before the current uh, trade dispute between the United States and uh, China and before the whole issue of Crimea ever, ever, ever came to the stage. Could we be overplaying the political impact of this pipeline? Again, it was going to get built anyways, Bill. Well, we always... Uh give more attention to the current news than to the historical perspective, right? So, yeah, there's an element to that here. This deal makes sense for commercial reasons. I don't think that the deal in any way would hinder China working closely with the U.S. when they see it in their interests. Frankly, right now, China doesn't want to bet on their deals with the U.S., and who can blame them? Well, U.S. LNG has been pretty much cut out of the Chinese market. Is that right? Well, the pricing is is not competitive. So the only reason to do it is to to build the connective tissue that you could do. Well, China's levied an import duty on U.S. LNG. Correct. Yes. There's the response tariffs. Uh, I don't know how they're treated in the recent uh, uh renegotiation of the tariffs. I haven't seen anyone mention them specifically. But yeah, it's uh, 
a cost forward pricing basis, it's already non-competitive. So another 25% really makes it out, puts it out of reach. And this would make less demand for U.S. gas, I would imagine, in the future amongst all the options. It's a global market, mm-hmm. and I, I don't see that as really material ultimately. You know, Anna, Bill mentioned a, a few minutes ago uh, this idea that the pipeline has been portrayed as a, as a deal among equals. What, what's your view on that? I mean, it's... Uh as I mentioned before, uh, China was negotiating from the stronger position uh, precisely in 2014. And it really, it, it, it's China was what, you know, moved the needle on, on that deal. China's uh, uh, willingness to to start and to, to you know, to, to commit. Um, also, when you look at the, uh, you, when you we look at the deal was constructed, it was, uh, the pipeline was supposed to start delivering between 2019 and 2021, depending on really what China needed. So we've seen as we moved, uh, you know, towards 2019, that China needs um, quite a lot of gas. And, and you see that the needs of China really pushed that uh, uh, the pipeline to start delivering in 2019. So you see that the China's needs are really kind of dictating the terms of engagement and so on. Um, although as, 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 as pricing of the, you know, of, of, of oil recovered a little bit um, and by that, uh, you know, from the 30s to 70s or 60s now, it helps Russia. Um, also, the fact that uh, China has been having issues with uh, U.S. Tr- and trading with U.S. kind of encourages China to look more towards Russia for potentially added supply. Um, there is the concern um, that uh, from China that potentially na- uh, U.S. Navy could block some of LNG imports, whether they're coming from U.S. or not. So there's additional kind of risk that, you know, any type of increased conflict between U.S. and China will uh, will indicate. Um, so you see that there is this kind of move towards Russia from China on that field. And it's not only with this project. China has been involved in Russian energy projects, um, actually, since uh, earlier 2000s. Um, it has supported Rosneft uh, in buying Yukos in 2005 and then um, was um, financing uh, Rosneft's building of Siberian Pacific Ocean, East Siberian Pacific Ocean pipeline, oil pipeline. And when the sanctions were uh, imposed on Russia and when financing was not available for Arctic LNG projects, uh, that's when uh, China stepped in. Uh, So now it actually Chinese companies own um, almost uh, 30 percent of the Yamaha project, LNG project, and 20 percent of the Arctic LNG, too. Um, uh, That's being developed and they are highly engaged in financing of both of those projects. So you know, we were talking about increased collaboration that it has definitely been, uh, you know, we've seen it on on the military front, like Vostok uh, 2018, I think the military exercise, common military exercises, and definitely we've seen it in the energy um, market, um, in energy uh, policy and energy um, infrastructure building and, and financing. And that's part of the reason. Uh, part of the reason for it has been kind of the disagreement between Russia and the West, be it Europe or uh, or the U.S. So, so it sounds like in any when there's a vacuum created in terms of foreign capital from the West that might grow from Western Europe, United States, etc., that might flow into Russia, 
sounds like the Chinese have been very happy to come in and fill that void. Yes, uh, that's 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 exactly it. And and part of you know part of this Silk Road project that China is kind of trying to implement is really kind of focusing on 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 Arctic, that Silk Road on ice. Uh, so we and we've seen that. Uh, kind Sounds of, like a Disney show, right? <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, Bill, for a moment. So 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 what what larger opportunity does China actually see in Russia? It's obviously investing heavily. What 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 other opportunities is it looking for? Well, you know, I think through the Paris Agreement, China was envisioning working with the United States as a partner moving forward, and then the election kind of threw a monkey wrench in that. So now they can deal with Russia on a peer-to-peer basis, and that's good for China's uh, self-envision of itself, and it's also a value to Russia right now. So it's a win-win for them, and they have their, their communist legacies that they share, so they have much in common in the way they try to do things. But I think ultimately... You mentioned the Arctic. The Arctic is a place where China, as a non-Arctic nation, has exhibited a lot of interest. That's the place with uh, the most resources that have been untouched. And with the change in the ice cover on the Arctic Ocean, there's going to be more openings there. And Russia tends to have uh, fairly advanced Arctic deep cold technology. And if China can finance activity up there, they'll have another win-win situation. I also expect that the the, uh, Arctic Ocean will provide a a trade path that will be a much shorter route for uh, cargo ships, et cetera. And Russia has the uh, icebreaker fleet to keep that open as things warm up a little more. So, so Chinese investment in that area gives them a more secure foothold in the Arctic as well, yes, it sounds like. Yes, and they so there is a group known as the Arctic Council, and it's literally every country who has a shoreline facing the Arctic Ocean, but there are several observers, and China has become one of those observers. Anna, you know, earlier we spoke, alluded to the fact that obviously China has a a strained relationship with the United mm-hmm. States at this point. There's been some positive developments recently, but d- does does the pipeline change the dynamics of the U.S.-China trade conflict more broadly? I I don't think so, really. Uh, it's uh, the pipeline has been in the making before the trade uh, trade issues that U.S. and China have been experiencing currently. Um, it provides China with diversity of uh, of supply, but then again, U.S. LNG wouldn't be the only and, you know, the only one LNG or natural gas, uh, you know, source where China would depend on it. So it, as, as Bill has mentioned, it is has become a very much globalized market, very different than it used to be. And and you know you you kind of it's 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 um, the supplies uh, be it via contract or or uh, by uh, uh, on spot basis are there and and countries can access that. Um, U.S. LNG is is uh, even contracts with the U.S. providers are really interesting and kind of desirable ones because um, often they do not include installation clause. So in that way, Chinese um, companies 
possibly would see an interest of having those contracts because it doesn't mean so when they buy it they are free on board they can deliver it to whichever area they want they don't necessarily have it's to bring it into bound to one destination right exactly so it gives a lot of flexibility helps these companies with with the conflict uh, you know between China and US and potential of tariffs they will be wary of doing this uh, because they don't know whether they can resell that that uh, LNG or on a spot to somebody else. Are U.S. gas producers feeling any pain from basically being locked out from the Chinese market de facto at this point? No, I think that's uh, that's what 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 Bill was alluding to. It's 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 a very much globalized market. You will see displacement basically of resources. So you'll see more Australian LNG or Qatari LNG or Russian LNG coming into China. But then you know as uh, because that LNG will go to China, it won't go somewhere else in Asia or in Europe or so on. So you will see that market kind of, there's going to be going forward. Well, now we see relatively a big supply compared to the the demand and you see prices somewhat lower than they used to be. Going forward, the prediction is that supply is going to be uh, quite larger and 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 the demand uh, the, the demand is going to be quite larger and the supply will kind of be, you know, uh, can, uh, can be placed uh, depending on the needs. Anand Bill, thanks for talking. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. Today's guests have been Climate Center Senior Fellows Anna Mikulska and Bill Hederman. For more energy policy news, opinions, and podcasts, visit the Climate Center's website. Our web address is climateenergy.upenn.edu, and our Twitter handle is at Climate Energy. Thanks for listening to Energy Policy Now, and have a great day. 